0: If you don't have to speak it, you you won't. It's so awkward to speak in your second language when you're learning. You feel you're not able to express yourself. You don't have a sense of humor. Your personality goes away the second you're not able to use all of your language. Who wants to feel that kind of uncomfort? Well, if you have to do it, then you, then you have to do it.
1: What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. In today's episode, I interview Holly Taylor, who is an ESL teacher. So for those of you who don't know, ESL stands for English as a Second Language. And um, this was just such an interesting, cool interview for me to get to do. I feel like this really encompasses this thing that happens on the show sometimes where it's like this you think you know but you have no idea type of job where it's like you can imagine what maybe an english as a second language class is like um but it's just it's a lot bigger and a lot different um than i guess i i thought it was like there's so much more that holly has to do and so much more that she has to cover and so many more thought processes that she has to have to try to help these students um that are new to the united states that you know, for the most part, don't really speak any English whatsoever. Um, so anyways, it all makes so much sense when you, when you learn more about it. But just such an interesting thing to, to learn about, this kind of experience that, that teenage kids are getting upon first arriving in the United States and, uh, and the role that Holly plays in all of this. So um, I hope you all like this interview. I thought it was very interesting. Without further ado, here is ESL teacher. Holly, thanks so much for coming on the show today.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. So I think I would like to start with uh, kind of like the most obvious question, which is what exactly is ESL? Uh, I think most of us know that it's English as a second language. I think like the biggest question that most people would have is, is it just like an English class? Like kids come in and they just learn English for a little bit, or is it something like they're just with you like all day long because they don't really know how to speak English very well yet?
0: In the state where I work in Arizona, we have Four hours of English that are broken down to reading, writing, grammar, and conversation. those are four separate class periods that comprises their four hours of English every day for ESL for ESL yeah.
1: right so like a regular student would not be getting four mm. hours of English every no, day no a regular student ESL just
0: student. yeah gets their one hour of English and they you know are reading the Odyssey and they have yeah. to talk about the character development of Odysseus um Whereas next door where I'm teaching, we are covering, um, let's say, the present continuous versus the present simple. And um, maybe our vocabulary that week is oriented on in the house or in the classroom. And you're also helping students understand how English is composed, the order in which we place nouns versus adjectives and it's very much the composition and structure of the words, as opposed to you know our English experience as native speakers are is more like where do I how do I write a paper right? How do you structure an argumentative essay? So they're they're very separate entities, in my opinion. They're two completely different classrooms.
1: So okay. So basically you're trying to help these kids just get by. Like you're trying to help these kids have a conversation with anybody and understand like what the heck is going on. So let let's talk a little bit about these kids and then we'll talk more about what um like what they're learning and stuff. Sure. So where are these kids coming from? Like what sort of experience do they have speaking English usually?
0: Um so So let's say that let's make it easy and say that there are 3 levels in esl in in our in our state we have level one level two and level three level one which i do teach um they have had very little english experience they are these levels are determined by a state issued test called in arizona the azela they take this test once they are enrolled for their very first time in school if their home language is not english they have to take an Azela test, which says, well, how much English do you know? Um, if they are in level one, then they are supposedly at the lowest level. Um, and there is a literacy. Well, we may get into that. Um, they haven't had any experience other than probably the media or, you know, movies. And you asked me well, where are my students coming from, uh, the majority are coming from Mexico, right?
1: Yeah, we're here in Arizona. Right. Similar, I'm sure, to most of the United States. Right. Um, yes. But you have other kids as well, not just I, Mexican I, students.
0: I do. I have. Um, I have all of my students, which I have about let's say sixty students. I see every day. Um, all of them are from Mexico, and two. Two to three of them, I think, are from Guatemala, Mm -hmm. Spanish still being their first language. Um, And I have three girls uh, that are, and they're not related, they're separately, they came separately, but they're all three from Africa, Mm -hmm. and they share uh, a different first language. Um, Two of them are from Rwanda. They speak Kinyarwanda, which is a a language that is very particular to one region, Mm -hmm. and it's very difficult to find... um, dictionaries and translators for that language.
1: Gotta be so hard.
0: Very, very difficult. Um, And though I will say, for those students in particular, coming from a country where, and and coming to a country where the people in the room have no shared language, uh, those students in particular, they learn English at a rate exponentially faster than my Spanish-speaking students, who can survive and they can get by here in Phoenix and particularly in the area of Phoenix where I teach. It has been dubbed kind of the like little Mexico of Phoenix, very, very high population. And and many of them can go through their day and not need English in a way.
1: Right. When they go out at lunchtime, they can speak to other like Mexican ethnicity Absolutely. or you when know, any go, Spanish-speaking kids that happen to be there that aren't in the ESL classes but yeah. that are going to help them get by and that they can be friends with.
0: Exactly. And beyond that, when they go to Walgreens, when they go to McDonald's, the likelihood of them interacting with someone who also speaks Spanish is extremely high, yeah. particularly in, in these neighborhoods um, and and the district where I teach, especially the school zone is just very predominantly hispanic and um thus many of them the bus drivers the the even their their science and their math teachers many of them can speak spanish so um i i find that when i first tell people oh i have a student and you know she speaks kenyawanda and she you know Cannot, she has to use English to communicate to me, and she has to use English to communicate to the person next to her. Mm-hmm. That child, though, initially there's a sense of uh, pity is kind of strong, but a sense of, oh man, what a what a difficult situation you must be in. Yeah, and like absolutely how lonely true, She must be in. Her her ability to, to grasp English is astronomically higher. Because it's a survival skill in a way that the other students aren't really feeling that
1: that's interesting, so let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. you have these so you teach the level one that you mentioned, so you teach the I people do. that like maybe they know how to say hello and thank you, and that's probably about it. yes so the things that you are trying to teach these kids, I imagine has to be a little bit of a survival mode sort of thing, like something I was saying before we started the interview is that I like I remember. When I was taking Spanish class back in high school, one of like the earlier things that we learned how to say is uh, like, where's the beach in Spanish? And you learn like these silly things to say. Mm-hmm. And it's like, in retrospect, that is a funny and interesting thing to, for a white American kid to learn how to say right. when if you were in a Spanish speaking country, you're probably going to be on vacation. Right. And you're probably going to want to know yeah. where the beach is. Exactly. And the these kids that are in your class, they don't need to know where the beach is at all. Like yeah. they need to know. Um obviously there's there's the things like hello, please, thank you, whatever right. else, but then there's actually like important just societal things for getting by. Like right. if um like I, I wonder, do you ever have conversations with your kids like if you are crossing like i don't know i'm just trying to think of all the things that you would try to like go over in your head like Mm -hmm. if a police officer stops you (laughs) say like hello sir and you know whatever and like you try to like get them these uh like cultural norms um that will really help them like survive in a situation where the other person that they're talking to cannot bridge that gap at all
0: right right um no exactly i i i don't think my students know the word beach yet um, because that 's not absolutely relevant at this point, and i am i 'm trying to teach them survival skills and English. they kind of go hand in hand um, you know one of the first things I have to teach them is how to to respectfully ask for things that they need in the classroom. Um, going back to my majority spanish speaking students the The structure of Spanish is very different from the structure of English in a lot of ways. Where in English, we would say something like, can I go to the bathroom or can I borrow a pencil, right? We ask these questions as if there's a choice, right, for the other person. In Spanish, if I were to need to go to the bathroom or if I need a pencil, I say, give me a pencil. So a lot of the times my students, they need a pencil. They raise their hand. They say, teacher, give me a pencil, And I look at them. Okay, well, that's quite direct. Yes. This Um, is the type of thing that I'm thinking of. That like
1: an English speaker like me wouldn't, everything you just shared, like I had no idea. So in, in, and God forbid, like a, somebody of a, like I said, like a police officer or whoever the hell else that they get in like a minor confrontation with or something and they say the thing the wrong way, you know?
0: Right. So so there, there is a unit at some point in English development where you learn how to politely ask for a question in English. And it's called, in English, we call them indirect questions, where when we want something, we ask like a very polite, would you mind if I had a sip of your water, right? That's a lot of words. That means I want water. <laughs> Give it to me. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, teaching them how to kind of work within the structure of a school, I'd say, because the um, we spoke earlier, the students are in mainstream classes two out of the six hours. So they have English for four hours with me and the other ESL teachers, and then the students by law have to be integrated into regular classes so they're in a regular science and math class um, that's so
1: funny and interesting i it, it first of all it's like i kind of would have figured that because a like you know the segregation piece like you said mm-hmm. b those are classes that it kind of make sense uh, but like science is just got to be mm-hmm. brutal like i could yeah. only imagine like numbers it at least possibly is yeah. like, a, you know, the universal language, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, uh, man, I can't imagine going to all of a sudden take like a physics class or, you know, a biology right. class and you don't even know how to speak English. And now right. they're using all these words that are right. like, you know, just way over your head.
0: Right. And then, and it's, it's especially tough because I have some students that are very intelligent and, and this can get into a conversation about grades and how numbers are basically aligned to student intelligence. Is that really true or not? But um, you know, I have some students that would have straight A's in all of their classes had they this ability to understand the language, but they're failing math. Now in the education system, we want to know uh, all this. We want data, right? We want to say that student, knows biology and that student doesn't um but that data is skewed when that student knows biology they just don't know english so how do we apply how do we give a number to that student right we want want a number for everything we want data and we want to track and and you see the the science and the math teachers really struggle with with um the students who may actually understand the concepts if it were applied in their own language are we testing them on english in every class or are we testing them on science
1: it's so interesting and silly that we can't track these students as separate entities because to your point um there's things like like pay like pay for performance basically coming to schools and then there's things um just in general of like school rankings and stuff Mm -hmm. so people like uh parents always want to move to a good neighborhood for like, oh, there's good schools in this neighborhood. And if, if what that means is like, oh, I know that the kids in this neighborhood test well, right. But this, uh, in this, this area, the kids don't test well. But meanwhile, this area where the kids don't test well has like, 20% 20% of the student right. population is like ESL kids right. or something. It's right. like, well, that's why they're not testing well. Right. The other 80% could be like a bunch of mini Einsteins running around right. and you have no idea because exactly. their test scores are being brought down.
0: Exactly. And and it is, I think, the education system right now is trying to determine how do we quantify fairly, how do we apply data and numbers that are valid, that... that um you know, that, that makes sense for these ELL, ESL students. I, we say ESL is the um, English as a Second Language, but we call the students, and I'll just give you guys a little lingo because maybe you'll see this later. ELL is English Language Learner, so that is the person. So if I vary between ESL and ELL, I'm talking about either the, the department that I teach for, ESL, and my students are ELL. ELL students, they have prior knowledge in their first language and we're saying in our society right now, it's a, it, I I know that you took algebra there, but if you're not passing these classes, then you're failing algebra. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's an, it's incredibly difficult and you get a lot of, um, you're right about school rankings and about, um, even teacher pay, uh, teacher, we, we get a bonus if we have a certain type of data and, and growth, everything is growth. Uh, And if we don't get that pay, then, you know, teachers are already kind of struggling financially as it is. And even just the last couple of weeks, I've sat with my department and we've had to talk about, um, you know, how to, how do we field these concerns from math and science teachers that, Sometimes come to us and say, "How how how can you help my student? What can I do? You know, I don't speak Spanish. I don't I don't know how to to help the situation." So That's- they
1: feel helpless and frustrated, right?
0: And, and they you know, looked- while the
1: kid probably feels helpless and frustrated, and right. you're helpless and frustrated, right. it's just like a right. non ideal situation.
0: Non ideal, and and there there are some conceivable ways in which the school attempts to like rectify these issues. Um, but but yeah, it, it kind of varies based upon how interested the teacher is in helping individual students. And there's just too much of a range of teacher performance. You have those that are there for the right reasons that will bend over backwards to make sure that every student is there. You know, those who don't get into teaching for the money. And then you get those who... Are just trying to get to that 20 years ready to retire and not necessarily wanting to spend the extra time and effort um, in, in doing that. So.
1: I can't imagine what it's like being you, like, particularly in the level one of this. Um, there's so, you know, it, I feel like being a teacher in general, um, it's got to be difficult not to get kind of like wrapped up in the lives of your students and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I how you were talking earlier about having almost like pity for some of the kids and stuff like that. It's uh it's just gotta be really, really difficult trying to like wrap your head around what the hell these kids are going through. Like, is that something that you think about a lot and it like weighs on you day to day?
0: Um, you know, that's a really good question. It it does. Um it does, but there is this normalcy that I I feel, and I've, I've been reflecting on this recently. Um, I'm not sure if I, I, I'm not, I, I spent a year living in Mexico uh, last year. Um, I went from living in Mexico. I came back um, and one month later, I started two months later. I started this job. So I have a comfort level with this population that kind of, allows me to not see. So it's not shocking to me because I've spent the last year working with people in this culture and I've actually been on the end of what it is like to live in Mexico. Right. Um, granted, that was a really different teaching experience. I was teaching mostly upper middle class working adults in Mexico
1: who are voluntarily trying to learn English
0: exactly. And and had enough money to pay for a private language Academy. Um, so, so it's a different type of, of experience, but um, it doesn't, it's, it's got, I don't know how to say it. It's kind of been normalized um, in my day to day. It's, it's, that's kind those are, the people I've been spending the bulk of my day with for the yeah. last year plus and so um I'm not every once in a while something will happen or there'll be a an experience where I'm kind of well election day that was that was tough the day after that I kind of saw a little bit more clearly what uh what these students that the kind of fear that some of these students live in but uh i would like to say that you know um teenagers are i I work at a high school teenagers are kind of teenagers and they're kind of goofy and laughing and joking with their friends and regardless of the hardships they face at home uh school especially my class uh I, I, it's a really safe place and it's mm-hmm. a fun place. And so, um, they don't, I don't see a lot of their issues come into my classroom because they're excited to learn. They're excited to see their friends just as any, any kind of high school is, but then I do dwell on it outside, you know, making dinner. And I think about a particular situation that a student is in. Um, and I think gosh you know how different of an experience they're having than one that i've had but i i'm comfortable with the at this point with um the differences between my upbringing and and theirs it's me being the foreigner uh, this is kind of how i felt um i went to mexico because i thought to myself what would it be like to be the foreigner right i'm i'm a middle upper class white girl living in america so i've never felt like a minority really uh but what does that feel like you know when when you're the one that sticks out and so i went somewhere to to seek that feeling and um and i and i continue to i kind of feel like the foreigner in, in the room in sometimes class, yeah. yeah um but it's something i've gotten more comfortable with
1: yeah so you mentioned the election. I want to talk about that yeah. more in just a second. Yeah. Um, but before that, and kind of so that we can talk about that, I would love to know, are you, uh, I know you know how to speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. Are you able to speak Spanish to your kids or do you purposely like, it's yeah. like you can't allow that, you don't want to let them see you speaking uh, Spanish type I thing? I
0: know, such a tricky question. Well, I can answer it. I do speak Spanish and I do um to... I do use some Spanish in class. Now, the law, I believe there's a law that's like no Spanish or no, um, you know, first language instruction. So my instruction is always in English Mm -hmm. and I speak slowly and very, um, I enunciate and so forth so that they can, I, I choose my words very wisely when I'm speaking to them in English, but I can, I can give secondary instruction in Spanish and so, for example, I'm like teaching a concept to the whole class. It's all in English. Here's the exercise that they need to do. Um, at that point, I can one-on-one or, or give give some Spanish instruction. But it's kind of frowned upon. And to be quite honest, I don't... The second the students know that I speak Spanish, they have zero need to speak English today. totally. And I can tell you from my personal experience in my own Spanish speaking, if you don't have to speak it, you, you won't. Um, it's so awkward to speak in your second language when you're learning, you feel, and this, uh, you're not able to express yourself. You have to, you don't have a sense of humor. Your personality goes away. The second you're not able to use all of your language.
1: That's such a good point.
0: Right. And so who wants to feel that kind of uncomfort? Well, if you have to do it, then you, then you have to do it. Um, And so my students, they, they probably at this point know how to ask me for a pencil or they know how to say, can you please come here? Or, those little phrases, but they're not saying it to me because they know that I understand what they're saying. If they're saying it in Spanish and why put yourself in that kind of uncomfortable position when you can avoid it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been the case for myself included. Um, I I'm very nervous to speak, not very, but I don't prefer speaking Spanish with people who also speak English. Um, for example, uh, my boyfriend, he's speaks Spanish also he speaks english um we never talk to each other in spanish because it i don't i'm not funny i'm not smart i'm i'm very direct and i can't express myself with all of my language tools so i don't want to do that yeah. um but when i'm speaking with his mom for example and that's our only form of communication it comes out really quickly so similarly that's what my students experience i I probably, and I've thought about this a ton, I need to, you know, say that, you know, there's, eventually there will be no Spanish speaking to the teacher, but uh, in this, as early as we are, I also think, first, I need to give them a comfortable place to be. And if they're able to express themselves comfortably while they're transitioning from one country to the next country and they're trying to gather their bearings if, if they need to use Spanish during that transition with me um and it helps them feel more comfortable in school in general, I'm happy to do that my new students they'll they'll come in and and I usually you know speak to them in spanish and um as I told you earlier i i I like to give them a week usually before I ask of them anything from class. So I I will never forget. I have, I had a student who came and he was um, he's actually from Guatemala and he came late and his face, his facial expression, right? The look on his face being in my class, he, he walks up to me, he has his schedule in his hand and just says, I don't speak English. And I'm like, well, you're in the perfect place. And I tell him in Spanish, you know, please just sit, relax, um, watch class, observe. Uh, you don't need to do anything. I want you to just just watch and and get a feel for for what this this. What classroom. it means to even
1: be in school and right, be, yeah,
0: right, and um, and and eventually, you know, they'll work themselves into the class system, but. But yeah, it it is it is tough. And I will say that at this point in time, um, there is a lot of secondary Spanish that is being used in my classroom. And I feel that it is it is starting to be more of a hindrance than it is helpful. And I and I as a teacher need to make sure that I establish a norm shortly where they need to use their English because you you can look at a worksheet all you want. If you're not using it in practical measures, then you're not going to be retaining it. And yeah. that's actually not helpful as a teacher.
1: Yeah. So knowing that you can and will speak Spanish to these kids, what happened after the election? Did they mm-hmm. want to talk about that with you? Like, I would have to imagine that there is at least a decent chunk of these kids that are not documented Um like how nervous was everyone and and what was like the just i yeah. guess overall mood of everything
0: it was it was somber uh it was it was a really tough day and i there were tears throughout the day from myself from some students um and uh yeah the and and like it's it's kind of in the facial expressions many many of many students don't want to talk too much for obvious reasons about their legal status because they're not sure you know if you're
1: just going to like report them right, right away or And like, and and
0: it and I had to explicitly tell the students that schools are safe places that we by law we are not allowed to give information about grades or, or uh, teachers administration school entities are are forbidden by a FERPA law that says you cannot give information outside of the school um, regarding documentation and so forth. So I reminded them of that and said that, um, you know, you're safe here in school. Uh, I extended my hand. If you guys want to talk, if you have questions, then like I I can help you with that. Um, But it was a, it was a pretty, shark day uh for a lot of the students there were there were actually um there was a walkout uh at my school it it got national news actually wow yeah uh the day of the election so november 8th before he was named uh, donald trump was named president that tuesday and then the next day wednesday thursday and friday students across the Phoenix Valley and, and I believe other places, but my school particularly, uh, all four days, they, students left class at 12 o'clock, I think, or sixth period, whenever that was. And they left school and they walked around in circles around the school with pro with signs. And there were some community organizations there to support the students in their uh, ability to protest the schools were uh, the schools allowed the students to leave if they so chose to do so no consequences they were just marked absent Um, and it's funny because uh, they got national news and I want to say like a couple hundred students each day left school in protest of the election Um, but my students were all in class I bet yeah
1: (laughs) because of the fear that you talked about
0: yeah and and I, I do. I the fear that I, I, I believe they didn't want to, to go and expose themselves and they're not sure what what to do and also they know that I teaching stuff and they've got a lot to learn and totally. I think I've got kind of a grip on them at this point.
1: So I would love to know. I, I feel like we've already talked about the the big ones and and people would assume like what the major challenges would be in an E S L classroom. Mm-hmm. What like other, cha- what ancillary challenges mm-hmm. are there in an ESL classroom that are just totally not present in a regular class?
0: Um, oh, okay. So um, classroom management, that's what we call how you manage behaviors. Uh, if you were to interview me uh, for an, a position as an administrator, they'd say, well, Miss Taylor. What, what is your classroom management style? And I would say, oh, it's based on, you know, mutual respect. I, I never, I try never to yell or be rude or say things in a way that isn't kind. So even if I'm telling you to sit down and be quiet, I'll approach it with uh, some tact, right? And that way I receive the same type of respect. Right. Okay. That's my, that's my spiel. Uh, it's hard to be respectful, okay, how do you convey respect through language, right? Through using a very particularly poised phrase? Would you mind sitting down, please, because it's really kind of distracting me and the other students? Is that all right with you? Okay, thank you. I mean, how do you that's that's too many words. Um, one of the biggest challenges is being able to convey something like stop talking uh, or sit down or please don't get up in the middle of me talking. You know, the pencil sharpener, for example. I'm I'm in the middle of a lesson and I have a student that just, for some reason or another, is in la-la land and decides to sharpen their pencil in the middle of my presentation. Well, that's fine. Okay, I, I would like to tell him, the student or her, to sit down. And I have to to basically point to the seat, put my arm down, sit down, right? I have to be kind of rude and direct because yeah. I don't have the luxury of, of being so elaborate with language to be kind and respectful. Right. Um, so I have a, I, I took this workshop on how to create a positive classroom climate It's for professional development hours. It's just something that teachers have to do on their free time. And uh, the whole class, I mean, I was with other teachers and they said, you know, make sure you have very explicit procedures and and it's always important to explain to students why there is a rule, you know, so it's not just so this is the rule and that's, that's all you need to know. Um, and I continued to raise my hand in this classroom full of other teachers and said, but what if you can't use language to convey the why? What What do you do there? You know, it's
1: like, damn it, Holly, why do you keep asking that I know, question? I
0: know. Um, so what I ended up doing is, you know, I have a I have a visual that has a, you know, um, pictures of someone sitting down in a chair and like an arrow pointing to that. And I will just reference this picture. OK, that means sit down in your chair Um, so it's been hard, I think, um, in that way that I have to say things like stop talking or, um, don't, don't do that right now.
1: So you don't quite get to have like the classroom culture that you want to have.
0: Right. And I mean, it's, and it's, yeah. On the flip of that
1: though, do you feel like because these kids don't really know how to speak english and i imagine that all of them arrive like freaking deer in headlights Mm -hmm. you know just very like timid and and nervous that that you almost get like more respect than a traditional like you mentioned about like oh the kid's sharpening the pencil and stuff like that like i I always like i don't I don't know what it's like in most high schools nowadays, but I always assume like, as I'm, be- as I'm getting older, that kids are getting worse. And that like right mm-hmm. now, like every high school classroom is like the movie gangsters paradise. <laughs> and everyone's just like, fuck you teacher. And like, what? Yeah, and what no. but like in your classroom, they don't know how to say fuck you teacher. Right. So like, they're just going right. to sit there. Is that true?
0: Um, well, hmm. it, it's, it doesn't, it didn't take them long to realize that I was, that they liked me. Uh, whether they knew why or not, you know, I'm, I'm nice. I, I always greet them. I do my best. It's not a boring class. And so they like my class and, and that, so in a, in a different sense, you know, respect is earned from, you know, facial expressions and body language and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not quite like that. I know I have very few students that are outwardly rude to me because at this point they realize that I'm not, uh, I don't, that I'm nice, you know, I deserve respect. Um, But teenagers are teenagers and we're all addicted to our phones, them more so than anyone I've ever seen. Cause they've had them for, you know, the majority of their life. Yeah. Um, But yeah, they're, they're, they're respectful at the same time. You know, the, they're kids, you know, teenagers, they're, they're 15, 16 years old. I mean, I say, I'm going to call your mom and they've, freak out and they're like no don't call my mom
1: so do you try to teach these kids cultural things in addition to the regular lesson plan um like uh, i i was telling you earlier like i I recently saw this uh anthony bourdain thing and the teacher in this one esl classroom was teaching these kids about like when you shake someone's hand you look them in the eye when Mm -hmm. you say when you're introducing yourself to someone look them in the eye that's like the polite way to do this um is that first of all, I guess is that actually part of the lesson plan, things like that. And then other things like that that have nothing to do with English whatsoever, but yeah. it's just like this is kind of the way we do things here. Yeah. Um, is that part of the agenda?
0: Um I think that those crop up unintentionally. Um I I can say that um there are like cultural things that I've explicitly taught. Like, for example, um, I'm going to go into Thanksgiving uh, this week for, because it's Thanksgiving at this point. And um, many of we have two days off of school. They, many of them don't know why <laughs> uh, they see the word Thanksgiving or even Halloween. You know, what is that? Um, homecoming. That was a fun one. Uh, I do teach c- concepts like that. And, and it's mostly kind of what they're going to see in school because I, I don't, really know what they're exposed to at home. Right. And, um, I do know that many of them, uh, have moved here with many students have moved here to live with relatives that already live here. Um, so they, they get some of those types of lessons of from, from their, the relatives that already have that knowledge. Right. Um, but like my, um, the thing or homecoming was a really interesting thing because they had no idea what that was. They they we had homecoming week and everyone started dressing up in different clothes. Right. There was like cowboy day and like Hawaiian day. And I had this girl is like asks me in Spanish, like, what is going on? Right. <laughs> why is this such a weird week why are you guys
1: like having fun in school like Like, back in my country school is just school (laughs) you don't have fun
0: right and i was like well it's homecoming and they're like what's homecoming i'm like oh uh what is homecoming i found out what it actually was it's like for alumni i guess is the original purpose but you know there's a dance and there's a football game and it's just like a school spirit week like welcome to school it's fall now and I don't know, we're in America. So we have homecoming in this month. Um, well, I, it was my birthday, the day of the homecoming football game. And a, it was a Friday and I decided, you know, my students were like, what are you going to do for your birthday? And I said, I'm going to go to the homecoming football game and I want you guys to come with me, you know, so that you could see what this whole experience is like. Um, and, and also just a bonding experience for the students to know, get to know one another, but to just I mean, that's a very American tradition, this homecoming concept. And I had to explicitly teach it um, and Thanksgiving as well. Like, what is it that gets into a little bit more of like celebrating um, these American traditions, which I don't think is really the question you asked me. You asked me more like social norms, like shaking someone's hand. Um, I keep it as far as as of lately, I've kept it mostly what how to be how to be successful within the school system mm-hmm. um and how to politely ask to go to the bathroom or what to do, um, you know, with your grades and stuff like that to try to get them to be successful in school. Because, yeah, I'm not a lot of school related
1: stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly. Do you have anyone that is an incredibly like curious kid in your class that must just be like. So frustrating and funny and interesting to have because I feel like you just said the perfect <laughs> thing of like, but why do you have homecoming? You know, yeah. and it's like, uh, man, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, nobody knows. Like, nobody yeah. cares. Nobody asks that question. People just do it. Right. Like, that's that. And yeah, I would imagine when you have all these kids from other countries, mm-hmm. like, like if I went to another country, I would be asking that mm-hmm. all the time. Like, right. are like, why do you do? That? I'd be like, yeah. why do that? Why do you do yeah. that? Why do you do yeah. that? And like. The answer to those questions so much of the time is like, there's really no reason. Yeah. Like we just do it.
0: I have so many of the students in every class period. And I have some that will not ever speak. You know, you have the same personalities that <clears throat> you see in other places. You know, you see in the workplace, those personalities are at home. And I have students that have too many questions and are too excited to talk and, and fielding those questions and providing good insight is challenging sometimes. Yeah. Mm
1: hmm. So do you get to, like, how much flexibility are you given in a role like this? Um, Like, how much of the, just like, this is the lesson plan, this is what you have to do?
0: Um, That's a good question, and I think that varies school to school. Um, I do have, for my district, I do, meaning all of the high schools in my district, which is a lot, uh, I think there are like 12 or 13 high schools in the district. Um, we are all following a plan where we spend a certain amount of time on a concept. So I have a unit that like a six week unit regarding these two tenses and maybe this vocabulary. So I know what content to teach, but in terms of lesson plans, that's my creation, mm. which is really great. There actually is, seems to be a lot more freedom within the ESL program to, to uh, teach the material the way you want it to be taught. Um, whereas the regular English classes, there is a lot more um, structure. What they, and you see this a lot, what is happening in one classroom should be happening in the other classroom too. Their, their papers are the same. Um, all the sophomore teachers get together and they say, okay, this is the essay. This is going to be their you know midterm. And so they're working with a lot more um, restrictions, I think, than than I am as an ESL teacher. But no, my and that also, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky question because it it also varies depending on what subject you teach. My reading classes, so I teach reading classes. I also teach grammar and writing classes. The reading classes are very structured. Uh, we have a computer program that we that the students need to use. We have a books that they need to be using, and we have. Um, And then I have like one third of the class, I get to choose the reading material, but the other two thirds are provided for me. So in that class, I'm limited. um, But in my grammar and writing classes, I am very free.
1: Okay. Um, Holly, let's start to wind this thing down. Okay. So first of all, I would love to know what, so you, you were in Mexico before this. That was kind of like getting your feet wet in Mm -hmm. the uh, teaching English to Spanish speakers. Um, world now teaching this in a school setting in this esl setting um what's been i guess like the biggest surprise for you or like the biggest learning experience or the biggest like i guess i didn't really expect that or wasn't ready for that
0: um that's an easy question for me i my experience in mexico was um i taught Small classes. I was given four whiteboard markers and a book. Those were all of my materials. There were there was no technology. There were very few resources other than the book that I and the students had, and like I said, four whiteboard markers and a whiteboard. Um, and I spent a year making magic with only those resources, and it was real, it was a lot of games. <clears throat> a lot of games, a lot of um, speaking activities, just kind of very dynamic because what else are you going to do? Uh, Here in the American public school system, I can say you are given a plethora of resources, uh, too many, to be honest with you. I, I feel very overwhelmed and it could be that I came from so few that I don't know what to do with all of the websites and all of the resources and, and, and I'm just used to this very kind of basic, uh, instruction. So, um, I have to really adapt to what the resources are here and how to best apply them Mm -hmm. and not overwhelm myself and my students with them. And so, uh, that's been one of the challenges I didn't expect coming. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, uh, Lastly, if you could give some advice to somebody that's listening to this and uh, they want to do something similar mm-hmm. to what you do, like what is the appropriate path for yes. becoming an ESL teacher?
0: Um, well, there's obviously the the teaching this, the TEFL, Teach English as a Foreign Language Certificate, which is not something that I have Um
1: so forget that.
0: So, well, I mean, that that's actually going to be if you graduated high school, college, associates. I don't really know what the requirement is, but you can apply for these TEFL certificates if if you, for example, my college background was in teaching and it was in English, so I kind of bypassed the need for that um, because I had already had this experience and um, accreditation. But if you, for example, were like a psychology major and you're not sure what to do with that and you're interested in maybe teaching abroad, um, and this is abroad only for um, uh, U.S. public schools, you definitely need to have uh like two years of teaching school and so forth. But if you're interested in teaching abroad, look into those certificates. Um, there are a lot of online programs where you can just take online classes and it'll give you the certificate and you can take that certificate and start looking at um, different schools in any country and say, hey, I'm a native speaker. I mean, that's going to be your your biggest uh, attribute. I'm a native speaker. I want to live and work. I have my TEFL certificate. If you don't want to invest the time and money in the TEFL certificate, there are still avenues for you. Um, there are – I. The program I used was called Cultural Embrace by API, and it was um, a program that basically provided support in teaching English abroad. I t- I typed in teach English in Mexico. It was one of the first things that came up. Nice. And um, they offer their services for a fee, and they have other places. You can do like Thailand and Colombia. Colombia is actually really... Um, pursuing teachers heavily right now. If anyone is interested in living and working in Columbia, their requirements um, are very minimal to get a teaching job there. And they have like five and 10 month contracts. So um, that's always something that I've thought about doing at some point. Um, but keep in mind that there's a lot of learning that you have to do. Um, just because you speak English fluently does not mean that you're, you're ready to to teach this content. Um, I would say, look into, um, you're going to, there are 12 tenses in the English language, uh, present, simple, present, perfect, present, progressive, past, perfect, continuous. Yeah, and so I forth. don't remember
1: what any of those are that you're no. saying, but yet I use them every minute of every right. day. And, and
0: so, um, what happened to me is I didn't know them either. I had I had no idea what any of that was. I got the program. I went to Mexico. I had one week of training, and then they gave me the book, and they said, okay, this is your class. This is the chapter that you're teaching. And I saw phrasal verbs and things I didn't know. And what did I do? Well, I went to the Internet, and there are lots of resources there. Um, and also I asked uh, a lot of um, – You know, the other teachers there that were helpful. But um, there's a lot, there's millions of people right now are pursuing learning English as a second language online. And so online is a ton of resources if you want to familiarize yourself. But it, um, yeah, it's a super cool job. It's not that hard to get into. You just have to be open to adventure. And I would recommend it too anyone.
1: Yeah. And then you can get a job back here in the States like you did if you want to do that eventually.
0: Right. Right. I mean, you would have to getting a job in the States. You do need to have um, a teaching certificate and that is a minimum of like one to two years of college. So there's a little bit more of an investment to be able to teach ESL here. Um, But teaching abroad, especially in Asian or Latin American countries, Europe is a little bit trickier to get into. Um, The demand is not as high and and it's kind of the cost of living there is expensive so i wouldn't recommend that you'd probably end up losing money yeah. <laughs> whereas you can live like a king teaching english in uh, or yeah, Asia. totally, yeah. totally.
1: Yeah. cool well holly thank you so much for the advice thank you for all the info and the stories and everything it's been a real pleasure thank you
0: yeah thank you for having me
1: Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. Do not forget, it is voting time for the 2016 Half Hour Intern Award. So head on over to halfhourintern.com and there is a link right there on the front of the homepage to submit your own votes for who you think should be winning awards for the 2016 Half Hour Intern awards. So go to halfhourintern.com, click the link right there in the front and submit all of your votes. It's not an all or nothing type thing. If there are certain episodes that you didn't hear or categories that you don't feel comfortable voting for, that's all good. Just vote for the ones that you do know about that you uh that you feel comfortable voting for and uh be sure to write in your favorite episode of the entire year as well. Thanks so much for listening, you guys.